1: Yes, yes. Welcome to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert dot com studios. Our guest this week is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, and our guest this week, it's all Missouri, all the time with the Colonel Gabriel P. D'Armond. Now, I have to be, I have to be fully transparent with the audience. I attempt to be uh, when discussing uh, the situations with the podcast. Two factors contributing to going with this being a two-parter. So I got to be candid. Number one, the podcast kind of is like two different parts. One is Missouri sports centric. Um, And by that, I mean uh, talking about our, uh, really more Gabe's career. But both Gabe and I went to the University of Missouri Journalism School. We were both in the broadcast sequence. The journalism school is broken up to different sequences. At the time, it was broadcast, print. I don't know if that's still around. Advertising. Um, and, uh, and I would imagine now they probably integrate digital and broadcasting, but either way, Gabe and I were in the broadcast sequence together from, uh, 96 through 98. He actually got a degree. I'm still eight hours shy of it, but we work together. Um, and so our careers have stayed, uh, close because we're both here in the state of Missouri, even though Gabe's from Kansas city. And so with regard to the podcast, the first part of the podcast is kind of Missouri sports centric talking about. Um, you know, certainly the athletic department and, and our memories of certain games and teams, we covered a lot of Quinn Snyder, by the way, people wanted to hear about Quinn Snyder. So we got into that. And then also the, the kind of, uh, different factions of the Missouri fan base. And so that's, that's, and I don't even know, I know that we went about 90 minutes. And so that plays like one podcast And then the second part of the podcast, which we're going to air next week during a week that I I hope for everyone's sake, most everyone gets off uh, as far as not having to go into work. And if you do have to, maybe you can just work a few hours or you can work remotely or you're getting out of town, whatever the case might be. I love that that week between Christmas and New Year's has kind of become a a national week uh, for vacation. But the second week uh, podcast, we're going to go part two on that is uh, Gabe and I talking about the St. Louis versus Kansas City thing, and then uh, our time together at KOMU and uh, and working together, and then also now working both in the same kind of market. He's in Columbia, I'm in St. Louis, but uh, so all of that is in there, and it's it's kind of a totally different podcast. So candidly, as as we head down the stretch of the year here, uh, we're also dividing a podcast that I think if it were like in the middle of June, we probably would make a one parter but we're kind of giving ourselves a cushion because we have literally had a new guest minus the Young views two-parter uh, every single week since October 1st, 2017. And I'm very proud of that, but holy shit, it is difficult to do that on a regular basis and not like take a break. So we're kind of giving ourselves a break and that we're making it a two-parter, but they will play like two different podcasts. I can tell you, we've already interviewed Grant Wistrom and I can also tell you that we now have local politicians reaching out to us to come onto the show, which is not something we ever would have expected, but that's what's going on. So we will probably have more local politicians on, uh, coming up in January. And then as weird as it is, I'm supposed to be at spring training and, uh, living and working down in Jupiter for a few months, but it's in, in, in an I would be leaving less than two weeks from today. And, uh, because PGA national, which is where we have an, an agreement, uh, to, to, bring listeners, Uh, And Clients is going to be uh, sold, we believe, and it's closed on here soon. Uh, That still isn't finalized, so I don't know if I'm going to be in Florida or not. Um, But either way, uh, if I am, then you're going to hear from a lot of Cardinals, and you're going to hear from a lot of Cardinal legends, because I'm supposed to be playing in the Cardinal Fantasy Camp, which should be a self-deprecation festival. Um, Or I'll be in St. Louis. I don't know. But either way, we'll continue the podcast, of course, and we'll be doing three episodes a week. We'll continue the Pick 6, and if you haven't listened... Uh, As of the time of this recording, the weatherman is on a heater 34 and 11 over his last 45. So you're going to want to listen to those because this guy is out of control on his picks. The podcast is brought to you by a variety of sponsors. Ryan Kelly is the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios. If you're buying a home, if you are refinancing a home, make sure that you go online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly is someone that I have known for about seven years. I guess we're going on eight years, I think, of his title sponsorship of our radio show and we will be entering into his, uh, I guess, third year annually of the podcast, 2017, 2018, and then 2019, uh, of the studio sponsorship of this program. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. And as many of you may have heard when you listened to him, uh, kind of as an entrepreneurial uh, spotlight guest a few months ago, not only is he a great marketer, but he clearly knows his business And that's why he can give you the best deal, save you money, and that's why his business continues to grow. Make sure that if you're going to buy a home or you're going to refinance, you go online at thehomeloanexpert.com and you do business with Ryan Kelly. And this gentleman who is in studio here with me today has also been on board since the very beginning. And his name's James Carlton. And James, I pay you the compliment of saying I see you and Ryan Kelly in a similar vein because I feel like you know your industry, you're a sharp guy, you're a smart marketer, and I do business with you and recommend my family do business with you just like I did with Ryan Kelly. And that's why I just switched to you.
0: Welcome aboard, sir. Well, thank you. That is a nice compliment. He has unmatched energy that I don't think anybody can keep yeah, up with.
1: I guess I would differentiate you there, but everything
0: else. Well, cool. that is that is a very nice compliment. Thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure being on the podcast and a real privilege to be on this particular podcast coming from such a big Tiger fan. You know, when I went to Mizzou, I came from a high school in Texas, so I didn't know anybody. So it was like a foreign land to me, but I became a huge Mizzou football fan. I was in the Brad Smith years and uh, got the opportunity to go to the, uh, the Arrowhead game against KU in 07. One of the greatest things oh, I've, I've ever been to. That near. week driving down to San San Antonio because I went to the Big 12 championship game that week was maybe the greatest week ever other than the birth of my daughter. Uh, To be able to to experience being number one and hearing on every local talk show, national talk show, talking about the Tigers being number one was unbelievable. And then, you know, I went in 08 to Arrowhead against Oklahoma. We got, you know, ran off the field by about 40 points. And then thirteen, I went to Atlanta for the SEC championship with which, for one half, was just a hell of a game. Yep. And I still, uh, I still uh, will stand by it. DGB was the best player on that field that particular day. Yes, he was unbelievable. He uh, didn't unfortunately, get the, uh, the courtesy invite to
1: uh, New York City, like Trey Mason did. Courtesy of <laughs> that was a Missouri's courtesy invite, uh, but he, he was untouched for most of that second. Fascinating, half. Fascinating uh, ability to defend that. Uh, that jet sweep. So I, I truly did this, and James can, can vouch for this part. I mean, I I, have, I switched to you, as I've been saying here, um, and it's not like James said, hey, I'll advertise with you, Tim, if you switch your business. It was never even talked about, as a matter of fact. But we had a, a situation um, where we had a business uh, account that I couldn't uh, reach the person I had been, his, his firm, uh, his insurance agency, and so I needed to reach out to James and, hey, can you help me out with this? And how quickly it was taken care of and how thoroughly it was taken care of. And I said to my wife, I said, I think for all that we have now that we have, James and I both have children very close in age, like two weeks apart. Right. And I said, my responsibility is to my family. Uh, And so I felt like switching to you was the right move. And so after about a year of doing commercials for you, I said, I got to switch. And the thing that stands out to me and why I switched was because when I reached out to you. Either you or one of the people you work with, and you have seven local people right here in the St. Louis area in Webster Groves, uh, all local people from St. Louis working in St. Louis, that you guys get the thing done and you know it's done to the T. And that's so important because, as, as you've said and we've talked about it, I mean, not only would you have a nightmare scenario when you have to reach out about insurance, but imagine thinking for something and then you're not. And that's what I've noticed with you since I've switched that you've made sure of, specifically with me with disability, but just across the board, the attention to detail, and I think it's because of the team that you have.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and we do have a very well-staffed team, so nobody's under complete stress throughout the day thinking, how am I going to keep up with all this busy work? When you when you get a call, or when you call in, I should say, you're going to get a live person on the first or second ring, and they're going to take care of whatever you need. And our goal is pretty simple. I mean, we're, we're there to remove liability risk. I mean, as you drive throughout town on 55, on 44, every other billboard seems to be an injury attorney these guys and gals are very good at what they do and we want to protect your your uh your assets and also we want to protect your biggest asset which is your earning potential i mean if you're 30 years old listening to this making fifty thousand dollars over the next 30 years that's 1.5 million dollars in earning potential that uh that's assuming no raises of course we want to protect that biggest asset as well so really we try to keep it simple remove liability risk and uh, protect your biggest asset
1: and I, I think the thing that i want to drive home to the audience is this and i could be wrong on this i don't know you know your business but that is that i think everybody kind of goes yeah i got an insurance guy or i got an insurance girl and it's fine and it's not really and that's kind of how i was forever and then just because of that one time where i had to reach out to you and then it was taken care of in a totally different manner i go wow there, this There is a difference. It's not everybody's just the same and everybody can either save you a little money, whether you're calling one of the ones that you see advertising on television that are, you know, based nationally or globally. Um, the customer service and the attention to detail of you especially, but the team at uh, Carleton State Farm Insurance Agency is what, from my standpoint, sets you apart. And even if you weren't an advertiser, I'd be like, man, I'm telling you, there is a difference here. And I would advocate Uh, people making the switch. I feel like that's the key. That's the difference.
0: Yeah, we can't control pricing. We can't control uh, how claims are paid out. I mean, State Farm has gotten to the number one position and has been there for a long time for a reason. They're not always the most expensive, but they're very competitive. Uh, But our differentiator is our team, our local team that's there to take care of you. And I challenge anybody to find a team that cares more about their customers yeah, than we do. I would be, I would really be surprised.
1: How you can become a James Carlton uh, client, and I just did. I mean, I did this within the last 45 days, and I, I, I don't know, even know what I had to do. I hardly had to do anything, which is one of the best parts about it, by the way, because I always say they do all the paperwork for you. I can vouch for that. That happens. Uh, 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800, or go online at Carlton. Insurance.net. James Carlton is this gentleman's name, his state farm insurance agency is the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. It's in Webster Groves. And make sure that you are supporting our sponsors, especially uh, James, who is in studio here, who has been with us from the very beginning and is online at CarltonInsurance.net. 314-961-4800. Make the switch. James, thank you for coming in. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, your family, and your
0: fine staff, sir. Same to you and all the listeners.
1: Thank you. There he is. That's James Carlton, a big Missouri fan, just like myself. And we are talking Missouri athletics here today on the Tim McKernan Show with powermuse.com's Gabe DeArmond. So Perfect. Colonel, uh, I'll start up here and and I and I like I said I just plan wandering, but I did post on the fan page that you're going to join me and people are all excited about it. So that's 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 great. Uh, I mean, it
2: seems to me you've probably had more intriguing guests, but I'm I'm glad there's a few people out there who <laughs> like you know.
1: Well, because I think people know that this conversation is going to be I I oftentimes probably surprisingly to most of the audience have a plan with an interview, but in this one I know an idea of the things that I want to talk about, but in general I have no idea where we're going to go, so the audience is along for the ride.
2: Oh, well I, I was promised to grab assery in this discussion. That's exactly right. And that's that what that is, that, that is the only reason I agree.
1: That's exactly what you get. And you know what? And so I might as well start here to make sure I check the box. Um that when I said, "Hey, I'm going to have Gabe on," and I, and I haven't done this, and we've ha- we've been doing the show now with a new guest every Monday, um, or we've had one two parter, I guess, but a new guest every Monday since uh, October 1st, 2017, which is not easy to to keep up. Um, and I've I've never gone, "Hey, I'm going to have so and so on." What questions would you like? Because I feel like it's kind of my job, but in this case. Since I knew it was going to be kind of a grab-ass interview, and then we might wind up talking about our time at KOMU for an hour and a half, which would be fine with me, by the way. But I I thought, you know what, while Gabe's on, let's see if there's some things that they would want to hear that we both experienced and can give our perspectives on. And I think there are a few topics, but the one that got the most response— and I guess it's not necessarily surprising because he's such a mercurial character, but people want to know about our experiences and our perspective on the Quinn Snyder era.
2: That's interesting because the question I saw on the TMA fan page was about Linda Loveland.
1: That, was, well, that, that also included, but that was included. No, <laughs> I uh, plead the fifth on that, that. That was included, but it didn't get as much as Quinn I, Snyder. We can talk Linda Loveland. We can talk Joan Early. I'll be happy to do it. But I'll start with Quinn Snyder. Now, when did you get back to Columbia? Because you your first and I guess, only television job, outside of both of us being at KOMU, University of Missouri, NBC affiliate in Columbia. I talk about it like everybody knows what it is, and I realize like 15% of the audience does. But you went to Rapid City, South Dakota, correct?
2: I did. I was there for four and a half years, um, at which point the general manager of that station informed me that he would know, like, no longer want me to be employed by him. Now, what
1: was that about? I didn't real. I didn't realize that. I guess theoretically, you got whacked.
2: Oh, there, there is no. You can just take theoretically. Okay, I was, perfect. I was, uh, I was escorted into an office and handed a cardboard box to collect my things. What happened?
1: Were yeah. they having layoffs, or were you like a banty no, rooster to deal with?
2: It, it, they just. It was a very small town place, and I, like I didn't really get along
1: with the people in charge, and.
2: I don't see you and I are both now in the position where we're mostly our own bosses, correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of in a hybrid uh, position, I would describe it as. I I operate a couple of businesses and I'm an employee at another. Okay, I technically
2: have people that like, you know, pay me and tell me what to do, but they don't really tell me what to do. So (laughs) um, I, I have found that apparently when there are people who tell you what to do, that it is better if they like you. Mm. they don't like you mm. and uh if there is not a willing um can i swear on this subject? oh
1: my god I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say the word fuck 320 times that's my goal okay
2: if, if there is a willing ass kisser to take your place for less money uh that's generally going to happen
1: oh god i gotta go and find out who is. your weekend guy was in rapid city in 20, 2002 and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him on next week that's what yeah, this is all about.
2: Uh, enjoy that conversation. Yeah. I don't think I've spoken to him. <laughs> yeah. then. Um, you know, but no, I. It, there was nothing. Uh, nothing to. I'd been there four and a half years. Like, I, I had overstayed how long I wanted to be there and how long they wanted me to be there. But I had met my wife in, in that time, so I kind of limited my scope of of jobs that I would look at. And the few that I did want, I didn't get, so I was still there waiting until I did get another one, and uh, then they made the choice very easy for me.
1: Yeah, and so at that point, are you thinking, okay? So what what year was that? So I guess that's two thousand two, three ish, because you got there like in December of two thousand. Yeah, or
2: February of '03. I got fired, and and then I got back here in August of '03.
1: So what did you do in those like uh, five, six months? In between,
2: um, watched a lot of. Tuesday morning quarterback on ESPN.
0: Good, good. Um,
2: a lot of A&E. Uh, I think I've seen every episode of Biography. Oh. Uh, stayed home with – I had a kid who was, let me think, at the time he was six months old. So stayed home with him uh, while my wife worked and uh, applied for every job I could find, most of which I didn't want. <laughs> you know, until, was it in television or were you, or you, you, were you moving on from television?
1: Were you looking at television, or were you going out of television?
2: I was looking at everything. I, I mean, I in sp- but sports at TV media stations. What's that? Sports media. Yes and no. Okay. Like, I applied for just jobs in town just to pay bills because I had a I We we had moved into a house I think 14 months before I got fired, and we had a six month old kid Wow. and a, a four year old. So it was ideal timing, really, on their part. Wow. Um, you know, so. Uh, so yeah, like I was literally applying for jobs that I would say, "Oh my God, please don't let these people offer me this job because I don't want this job, but I know I have to take."
1: it. <laughs> and I didn't get any of them, so you know, no worries. So then, what happened in two thousand three? Like yeah, with so, pa- was, uh, that, was that was that when was that when you went to Power to R- Mizzou or started? Pa- I don't even know yeah. what the history is, Power Mizzou.
2: Yeah, so Power Mizzou started in like ninety nine. Um, the guy who ran it, he actually. Uh, ran both our Missouri and our Kansas sites and he knew so I was doing some freelancing for a group that was actually a competitor of Power Mizzou and my job interview for a full time were, were you freelancing?
1: <laughs> were you freelancing for Tigerboard?
2: <laughs> no, believe it or not.
1: Uh I'd love to be a remember. W9 with Tigerboard.
2: Yeah, I can't even remember what the what the outfit was called, but basically they merged with Scout okay. uh, like a few months later, but the guy had like, he was stringing me along, interviewed me for a full-time job. My my interview was very impressive. He said, um, could you name three people who Missouri signed in last year's recruiting class? I said, I could not name one. I did not know recruiting was a thing people cared about really. Um, and, uh, and then he mentioned their main competition being something called Power Mizzou. And and I pretended that I knew exactly what that was and was very familiar with their work. I'd never heard of it. Uh, but the guy who ran that, um, my dad had done some stuff for him. And I think my dad mentioned to him that I was looking for a job. And so he was looking to hire somebody. He called me, had a contract on, uh, on the table the next day, and wow. I accepted that, and then all I had to do to get out of the other deal was, you know, make some calls to lawyers and stuff and say, hey, I never signed anything, so get me out of this, and they did, and uh, there we went. Wow.
1: Did you ever expect that it would turn into what it's turned into?
2: Oh, not at all. I, I mean, and and this is—we're getting off the Quinn Snyder topic.
1: No, I know, but, but, I wanna, but I wanted to see how much of Quinn you were around for, so I was around for— yeah. I guess theoretically I was around for all of it but like the 7 months that I was in Little Rock in my first television job um but, yeah. I, but I knew you missed part of it as well cuz I knew you were in South Dakota.
2: Yeah, I was I was actually in South Dakota for Quinn's first
1: 4 years I guess.
2: 3 seasons I guess, maybe 4 honestly. Um because I went I was in South Dakota norms last year. I actually drove down to Denver and uh, that's where Missouri played in the NCAA tournament against New Mexico right. in Norm's last year I watched that game uh, my dad was covering it and I watched the game as a fan with my mom and then you know Norm was out a few months later so I missed Quinn's first like three and a half seasons um, they, you've given me permission to, to wander so going oh, of back course. To whether I ever saw this being what it was when, when I graduated from Mizzou, our uh, mutual friend Brian Nooner, I was offered the job in South Dakota, Monday through Friday, on the air, for twenty three thousand dollars a year. And I don't, I I don't like when people forget, come on here.
1: I don't like when people come on here and brag.
2: Yeah, I know exactly right. So Nooner Nooner said to me, "You have to take that job. We don't see that kind of money for first jobs in TV." So like all these people who think. <laughs> that you go into the media and you make a lot of money, like that's not the reason anybody goes into it. I was, I was actually at a grocery store up there one time, and I was buying my knockoff, you know, five dollar laundry detergent or whatever, and I saw a guy who, who knew me through being on TV, and he said, "Why are you buying that cheap stuff, man? You're on TV." I said, "You just,
1: you just don't understand." People them, don't. Do I you. think people know. I think people know now. I think. But sometimes, like when I left KMOV in 2005, there are still people who think that I got fired because they couldn't comprehend that somebody would leave television to go into radio. And I was doing both and shows between. because there's no way you're making more in radio than television. I go, I'm almost making twice as much. And they're just like, there's no way. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. This is the way that it is. And that was in 2005, much less 2018.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I worked with people who legitimately had full-time jobs and their parents sent them money every month because what they made was not enough just to pay their bills
0: yeah, I don't know. I don't know? Know. So, yeah
2: TV is very if you are at the top you make a ton of money and if you are not at the top you make absolutely nothing
1: yeah you don't really uh, unless you impact the bottom line you have no leverage and I find you can impact the bottom line much more in radio where you can where you can be yourself so you get you get you get the gig in Columbia in 2003, Quinn at this point, they lost in the NCAA tournament in the second round to Marquette in Indianapolis uh, in overtime. I was at that. Uh, yeah,
2: that was the Ricky and AJ.:
1: That's correct. Uh, but one against Dwayne Wade, Steve uh, Novak, I think, was the guy who hit like three after, mm-hmm. three, after three after three in overtime, and yeah, so they, they lose. Travis Deener That's right. And so Quinn, at that point, that's right. I remember for me, this is my Quinn anecdote. I recall the day he was hired. So you weren't in Columbia the day he was hired. No, I was not. The day he was hired. This was like this was this was when I was enjoying my life. I, I this was a beginning a run of enjoying my life for a, a good few years. Right around this time, KMU, and it start. And I'm just i kind of enjoying myself. Uh, and I recall waking up at a uh, Alas's place. Uh, and I go, Oh, I gotta, I gotta leave. There's a press conference for the new basketball coach. And, um, and so I, I hustle over there because it's bright and early at like 10 in the morning. And my God, that's just, that's, that's essentially four in the morning to me at that time. And I get over there just in time thinking it would just be like your standard Columbia media people. And I get there right as it's starting. And it is like a frat party it was unbelievable I've, I've i still haven't seen anything like it since um and that was a number of sorority girls were there i'm dead serious i'm not making this up i think for the handful of people who are listening to this who are there they'd be able to attest to this and it was like a they call this foreshadowing <laughs> a literary device to illustrate what the future shall bring and it was a party atmosphere and people were so excited. And I, if there's outside of that standing out to me, I also specifically remember thinking that it was really odd that he had just gotten engaged the night before. I, I just always. Oh rem- wow! I didn't
2: know that. Oh yeah.
1: I, I mean, I'm just, I, and to me, I'm just like, they told him you need to get engaged. That's, that's what I feel like. I mean, that's where I am on the whole thing. I was there in 1999. By that, I mean mentally, and nearly 20 years later, I still think the exact same thing. And she was there. Helen was his first wife, and she was there. But the reason why all the sorority girls were there, and, and they didn't know him outside of the fact that he would do Krzyzewski's halftime interviews in the NCAA tournament, that he was a sharp-looking, what, 32-year-old which is amazing looking back on it when you're 22, which is what I I wasn't even 22. I was 21 uh, at the time. uh, Maybe I was 22, whatever. 22, 21. You think 32, you're like, you know, 60. And now being 42 and looking back on it and I go, oh my God, I can't imagine running a college basketball program when I'm 32.
2: Yeah. So that that story reminds me very much of when we were at KMU. So I went out one day and and played some golf at the fine links at LA nickel.
1: Ah, nice. Uh,
2: yeah. It, uh, you know, I think it is actually illegal to play golf at LA nickel and not drink. So <laughs> I, uh, I had, it had a few and at about two thirty, I got home and, uh, someone from KOMU called and said, Hey, Joe Castiglione is resigning to take the Oklahoma AD job. Can you come shoot that for us? And I said, um, I can, I don't think I can drive to the station and I don't know if it will be in focus, but if there's nobody else to do it, I will. And they, they let me out of it that day. Uh, so that was, that was my introductory press conference moment <laughs> uh, was that, but Quinn, yeah, the first, the first thing I covered for Power Mizzou, the first basketball story I covered. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a shot and see August okay. of '03. All right. It happened before the season started. Any idea what the first thing I would have done was?
1: August of 03, I'm going to make a play on the jailhouse tapes of Ricky Clemens.
2: It was the release of Ricky Clemens from jail. I was actually (laughs) there when... Ricky had the lollipop in his mouth and uh, one of the assistants and I no longer remember who pulled up with his windows all uh, covered in newspaper so you know the media wouldn't know who I'm gonna was. I'm going to allocate Ricky 48%
1: was... of my bankroll on Tony Harvey 48% of my bankroll is on Tony <laughs> I, I, Harvey That
2: would be That would be a solid guess. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the more upstanding things T Harvey <laughs> may have done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, so that was my first, uh, it, it, speaking of foreshadowing, the first story I covered basketball wise for Power Mizzou,
1: so. So Quinn only lasts a couple more years, right? I mean, a year and a half, I guess. Is that right?
2: Uh, he was here through, I, I think he got fired in the middle of the.
1: 05, 06. It was either
2: 05 or 06 season.
1: Right. Uh, Gangster Probably Pete's 05. looking all of this up, uh, at least I think he is. Um, but to to see when he's leaving, but but the thing that 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 his exit stood out to me was the way that it went down. It, is the Gary Link thing accurate? Oh, it's a hundred percent accurate. What the hell is, it what, what, is what is what is that about?
2: That, I think it was my dad who wrote that story, and I think that was just Mike Alden kind of not understanding uh, how bad that was going to look if it got out. And I, I remember saying after Quinn left, like. What Missouri has managed to do is make Quinn Snyder the heroic figure in all like, <laughs>
1: So, so for, guy- what, so for those who don't know, for those who don't know what I, t- I, talk about these things like everybody knows, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try to step out of my inside baseball right. world. Go ahead and explain what the Gary Link tie to Quinn Snyder and Mike Alden is.
2: Yeah. So, long story short, Gary Link was at the time the color commentator and may have been kind of like a special assistant to Mike Alden. I don't remember if he was at that time. But anyway, the upshot was rather than telling Quinn himself that he was fired, uh, Mike Alden sent Gary Link to have that conversation with Quinn uh, because I believe the reasoning was he thought that Quinn would take it better from Gary because Gary was was friends with him uh, or friendlier with Mm -hmm. him. It was more of a peer relationship than a boss relationship. Either way, it got out. It It was uh, looked upon very poorly, as it should have been. I I mean, it was stupid. Don't get me wrong. But um, I I remember writing after that that, like, this is a guy who has your program on probation, who has made your basketball team a national laughingstock, and somehow Mike Alden has made him look like the good guy who shouldn't have been fired. Like, it, it it, it was impossible to do.
1: Hey, I hope you're enjoying this interview with Gabe DiArmond of powermazoo.com All of our guests are presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Here we are at the end of the year, and one of the things that can give people anxiety, I'll be candid with you, gets me anxious as well as you start thinking about end of year finances, where things are going, and you want to make sure you're organized. Well, Here's what you can do. You can talk to Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. Mark helps everyday people meet their financial goals by helping them to create a clear picture of their finances. His number is 314-889-0503, and I want to make this clear. I really, really do. This is important to me. Um, it's a weird spot because I don't want to say any, any sponsor is more important than any other sponsor because it's obviously that's not not the case. But this one resonates with me more just because I really messed up my own finances and I don't want to make, I, 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 perhaps I'm, it makes it sound like it's like some kind of debacle, but really, I mean, I think it actually kind of was a debacle because it was just so irresponsible. And I also think sometimes when I take myself back to my twenties and I guess to an extent my thirties and like people who are, I guess were my financial advisors or worked in finance and they'd want to get together and I just be like, Oh, they're going to try and like tell me to do something that I don't want to do or I don't understand And I'm like, I don't need it when I actually did. And I don't want to be bothered by it. Or as one person emailed me after they did meet with Mark Hanna and they said they really were dreading it because they knew that there were some things that they just weren't doing right. And it was like going to the doctor and finding out you had something. But once he went and met with Mark, he's like, okay, good. Now I know what I need to do. Mark organizes it for you. And then you say, then he's going to ask you very simple questions, enter in the information in the iPad and say, okay, if this is what you want, this is what you got to do. Now, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but if you want to do it, this is how I can do it for you. And that just changes the whole game. It's so important. It really is. And I, I really want to, I mean, you know, I, I just, I, it, it, my, my, look, when it gets down to it, my goal is to, this is my career. But because of the platforms that the radio show has, and the podcast has, and I guess to an extent social media has, I'm able to communicate with people and and truly speak from a firsthand experience that this is so important. And if, for real, two things I would, I would, if I could go back and do in my 20s or say to myself at 21 years old, I'd say, number one, never stop taking Propecia. And number two, make sure you get together with a financial advisor and have a plan. And really, I would have done it earlier than 21 but, um, it's so important, and you have you have no idea, and you just and you look back on it and you go, God, this is so dumb, And then how it compounds just a small amount, just a small amount. I mean, and it's weird because if I start naming a dollar finger, then it can get uncomfortable. But let's just, if we can operate off of a hundred bucks if you're if you're able to set aside a hundred bucks a week and do that for fifty two weeks, now you're talking about fifty-two hundred dollars, and I'd like to think a lot of people, certainly in their thirties, um, but in their twenties, could do that. I was lucky enough getting hired at KMOV at twenty-three years old. I absolutely could have. It's not like I was bawling or anything like that, but I was okay. And then you 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 do that over the course of a decade, and it's it's fifty grand. It's more than fifty grand, uh, and, you, and you go. <laughs> You know, it's just it's just bad. It's just it's just it's really bad. <laughs> there's no other way. There's no other way to describe it. It it really bothers me. Um, and it's and it's and like I said, it's irresponsible. And and it's it's it, I'm chastising myself. Uh, I, and I'm I'm quite certain many of you could could set aside much more than that. But but, but it's not about setting aside with Mark. It's about understanding where you are and if you, where you want to go and what you need to do do it. And that's what he can do. And if I'm like, okay, this guy's going to start trying to sell people on, you know, penny stocks, like the Wolf of wall street, I'd be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to, not going to go up. I'm not going to go above and beyond here. Uh, because I, I'm not going to feel confident about it, but I speak passionately about it because I did it. And by I did it, I mean, I didn't do it. Uh, and I screwed up and I know that Mark can set you right. And that's, it's just, that's, that's why I I speak so passionately about him. Uh, his number is 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Basically, the message is, don't be me. Don't be me. Get yourself right. And uh, and then you're not in, like I am, you know, in my late 30s, early 40s going, oh, yeah, I could have had this situation going. But instead, I I didn't take meetings and I didn't pay attention. And, you know, you know I guess I'm fortunate that things have been all right, but I really left myself uh, vulnerable. And it's, it just didn't need to be that way. And that's what I'm trying to convey. You know, I realize that you're listening to a podcast. You want to get back into the kernel and what he's saying about Missouri. And I understand that. I do. I get it. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that this is going to help you. 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. He's Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies Online at evergreenstl.com. So specific to Quinn, because... um you know, my wife was a student there uh and graduated in oh six. Um, you know, I was there. I was just getting ready to leave Columbia for my first TV job when he had been hired. I think I was there for a few months, but obviously not there for the basketball season since I left in in June of nineteen ninety-nine to work in Little Rock. Um, but I was there at the introductory press conference and I was around and I remember like thinking like, oh, this is cool. We got like one of our friends coaching the team. And I remember my friend, Joe Statz, uh, who's a wonderful gentleman, Colonel. Uh, and we saw Quinn uh, outside of Shiloh the day that he was introduced. And I guess like boosters were taking him around and they took him to Shiloh. And I'm talking about the uh, right caddy corner exactly caddy corner from campus near the journalism school Shiloh location. And I remember my buddy, Joe Stats saying, Hey, just so you know, it's Missouri, not Missouri. And, uh, and Quinn, uh, we thought he would enjoy that. He just kind of gave us a polite laugh to let us know he heard us and then moved on with about his day. And then I think I saw him a couple days later, said the same thing, didn't enjoy it nearly as much. And he didn't really care for it the first time either. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a, this guy isn't necessarily one of us. The thing that stands out to me, as he shouldn't have been, for the record, uh, but uh, but the thing that stands out to me from my experience with him, and I know you, I th- I assume anyway, you got closer. I don't know because you got there kind of, you know, seventy five percent of the way through his tenure, is he always kind of had it? He not kind of. He did have his guard up. Um, and I felt like, in, in in my opinion, anyway, unnecessarily so. But maybe that just came with being new and, and relative to his peers in the industry, young. For example, his best run, I gather, we would both agree. I mean, certainly, objectively, it was 2002, and they made it to the elite eight and played Oklahoma in the in the in in the uh, Western Regional in San Jose, which right. I was at. But they got in there as a 12 seed. And they beat Miami, beat the hell out of Miami, and then beat the hell out of Ohio State. Ricky Paulding had a sick yep. dunk. I was, I was at that game in, in Albuquerque. And I recall asking Quinn a question that was an absolutely harmless question. Something along the lines of, do you feel now that those who have been critical of you, uh, you know, you have now shown them you've gotten this team to the Sweet 16? And, and he goes, I'm not here to psychoanalyze myself. And he kind of jumped my ass. And I'm just like, whoa, what in the world? You know, and this is right after you just got into yeah. the Sweet 16 as a 12 seed. And then he, we got done with the whole thing. And then he comes over and he puts his arm around me. He goes, uh, you know, right. We're not, we don't need to, We don't, uh, you know, bow down to any of our critics. And I'm going, well, you know, what are you bringing me into this for? This was off air. Right. Uh, and then I think it was either after the, it probably was after the 2003 season. So the, the season we just made reference to where they lost to Marquette in the second round. And I don't know how this happened. And I don't know if I've ever even told you this, Gabe. But somehow I got his cell number and I remember I was, work, I was working at KMOV. So that's downtown St. Louis. I lived in Clayton, uh, which was 15 minutes away in a condo, of course, not a home in Clayton. And, uh, and so it's, you know, 25 minute drive if you're driving at rush hour, 30 minutes, whatever. And I remember I was on the phone with him from the front of KMOV all the way till I got into my condo. And it was him talking about 95% of the time. And he was just laying in to anybody and everyone. And I said, Quinn, and I'm just like, we, we, we know each other, but we don't know each other that well. Which That's why I was really surprised he was saying all of this stuff. And I said, you know, what you're saying is incredibly interesting. And it certainly gives your side of the story. I said, I think it would be great if you came on. And I was co-hosting with Frank Cusimano at the time. Uh, in on KFNS and I said I think it would be good if you came on and told some of these stories because it would help people understand the situation better and he goes you know what I'm going to do that and I'm like sweet I can't believe this this interview right. is going to be incredible because I mean whether it be Norm Stewart whether it be John Calipari, whether it be Floyd Irons um uh, it it was a uh, it was I mean it was a conversation that if you know I mean I it, you know I, right. it, it, was, it was it was something else and so he comes on, and I think that I think one of his main contentions, because this became a whole thing after the fact, and then he threw up his hands and said, I'm done. I tried, and now I'm done. As he said, something along the lines of, everybody assumes that all— I think he was tired of the expectations that he and the program have. And he said, everybody assumes that we're able to get the top recruits. but in re-, And I'm paraphrasing here. This has been 15 years. But he said, in reality— I think he said something along the lines of Trayvon Bryant's the only McDonald's high school American we've gotten or something along those lines. And it was a, it was a candidate interview. It wasn't you know even a third of his candidates, the phone call, which was private. Uh, and obviously I'm not even going into the details now, but, but that call, that call when he was on with me and Frank, the interview then pissed off. I'm not mistaken. Floyd Irons, because Irons was pissed off that he was by saying the only high profile recruit we've gotten is Trayvon Bryant Ie he Jimmy McKinney. Exactly right. And then that pissed off Floyd Irons. And Quinn's like, see, I tried to be candid. I tried to let my guard down, and I can't win. He goes, I'm going back yeah. to doing the way that things that, that I was, and I'm going to, you know, essentially lay low. So that was my learned, experience with him.
2: Yeah, Quinn learned a lot of hard lessons at Missouri. And, you know, I, I'm not at all surprised that he's a, a good head coach. Because he's uh, a very smart guy. He is, and and that was Quinn's biggest problem. He was so smart, and I have talked to people who were on his staff or on his teams who have 100% confirmed this for me, but I always thought Quinn's biggest problem, because I I don't know how often you would do it, but I would sometimes walk out of press conferences with Quinn and go, I don't know what the fuck he just said.
1: I I use it still as an outdated – when somebody answers a question and they talk for a while – but they don't really answer the question. I go, oh, the Quinn Snyder strategy, and then because well, I, I would do one-on-one interviews with him, and then I would get done, and I'm like, man, we just talked for 40 minutes, and I didn't get anything out of it. It was like it's like genius politics, right? It wasn't that he didn't answer the question; it was that he was talking like in ways that
2: I couldn't understand it. You know, I mean, he was Quinn was smarter than I was. He was smarter than everybody he ever coached. And I talked to, to somebody who was, you know, a GA for him or something. And this was just a couple of years ago. I talked to this guy, and we were talking about that. And he said, I, I'm telling you, we would leave the huddle during practice sometimes. And those kids would look around like, I, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, because <laughs> Quinn was so smart that I think he had a hard time relating to 20-year-old kids. Um, the other lesson he learned very quickly here, and it, it's pretty interesting, Quinn was the anti-Norm. I mean, Norm was so good in the regular season. And he just didn't win enough in March to validate his, what I think should be his place as one of the, you know, 15 or 20 best coaches ever. Uh, but he didn't win when most people paid attention. So he wasn't looked at that way. Quinn's teams in the regular season were incredibly disappointing. Yes. That team that was a 12 seed was at one point ranked in the top five in the country. Yep. And I was mean, a, but was
1: considered a bubble on selection Sunday.
2: They were the very last team in that tournament. Yep. I mean, they were incredibly disappointing that year but they won three games at the right time. And Missouri fans that were so starved for success in March fell in love with Quinn because of that. Now, again, he made four straight NCAA tournaments. That's not something a lot of guys have ever done at Missouri. In fact, I think Norm is probably the only other one who's ever done it uh, because I don't think Mike Anderson did. um, And and then Frank Haith and Kim Anderson obviously didn't. Uh, So he he had a decent run, but the, the biggest lesson Quinn learned here was what works at Duke doesn't work here. Yeah. Like, we can't just go – what Quinn got caught with is he'd go out and he'd go after Jason Capono and Al Ding and all these guys. But they didn't just come here because it was Quinn Snyder. Like, those guys went to Duke because it was Duke. But they didn't come to Missouri, and then his backup plans weren't quite good enough. He also – like, I always say this. If anybody thinks Missouri – if Quinn Snyder got to Missouri and just decided to learn to cheat – Come on, man. Quinn learned all that somewhere. He even said at one point when uh, they got in trouble for flying family members of Paulding and Johnson either to Columbia or from Columbia or something. It wasn't a major deal, but it was a a minor NCAA violation. And he even said, we did that at Duke all the time. I didn't know we couldn't do that. Hmm. You know, so – look, I don't mean to disparage one of the great coaches of all time, but like Quinn didn't just make up his playbook.
1: What about off the court elements that became, and I I have no idea what's true and what's not. Um, What is your understanding of how much that contributed to his demise?
2: So many things, you know, were said. I don't know if any of them are true to be quite honest with you. I mean, I think Quinn was, was young and in a college town and probably had a little more fun than he needed to have. But I can't, I can't speak to whether any of the wildly salacious rumors were, were necessarily true or not. They kind of took on a life of their own. Yeah.
1: They, they certainly have to the point now that people just pass them off as fact. And I obviously have absolutely no clue what's, what's true and and what's not. But um, I'll tell you this. And I and people ask every once in a while because we have been lucky enough um, to, to have, you know, I mean, Jay Nixon's been in studio here. Jack Danforth's been in studio here. Bill DeWitt, Chom Stillman, the owners of the Cardinals and, and Blues have been in here, um, along with, you know, athletes and media personalities. Awesome. We've had some great, great guests. Uh, you obviously being the, the, the biggest exception. Uh, well, with, yeah, goes I mean clearly. Goes I mean, with this that is a down week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the holiday week. <laughs> you, you, we can't be great all the time. <laughs> but the one, if some people say, well, who would you love to get on? And I said, well, within the scope of... What I consider to be reality, because people go, what about like a a president or something like that? Let's stick with what's the scope of reality. So my white whale at this moment for this show is Quinn Snyder. And he's really been my white whale for a long time, assuming I could get him to do what we just said he didn't ever really do, which was answer questions. And now he's, you know, he was Because if you read any stories with Quinn, he still doesn't like to talk about. I know. And he was, uh, he was in the I mix mean, for Coach of the Year cool. last year in the NBA, you know? We, we tend to forget the human element of these people.
2: They're robots, and they get paid millions of dollars. And we scream for them to be fired and all that. Like, that, cu- that whole thing really cut. Because Quinn was a guy who had never been anything but the golden boy. I mean, he was a McDonald's All-American. He was the point guard for national title teams. He was the the cover boy. He was the, you know, his hair was the story of college basketball. I mean, every, and I don't want to say it had been easy for him because that's insulting, but like he had never been the underdog and all of a sudden here, people were trashing him and I don't think he probably still really knows how to deal with it. But he clearly, I mean, he went to the D league. He humbled himself, Yeah, you know, and D league and what Russia, right? Probably was good.
1: He went, to, he went to Russia, too, right?
2: I think he did coach in Russia. Yeah, he coached, I know, he coached uh, the, the team in El Paso or somewhere down in Texas. It was
1: Austin. When Dennis you know. Johnson died, I think he became the head coach mm. of that team, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, so,
2: yeah, but, I mean, I'm not shocked he's doing well. He's He, like, he's a smart coach. He's a, He's a good basketball guy, but he just needed to be somewhere, probably, where people were getting paid legally to be there and... <laughs> And, you know, it was they were kind of on his level as far as basketball, because I, I don't think the kids here were probably could even understand half of what he was trying to. I mean, his infamous, you know, player development playbook, like I was in school for what from five to twenty two, seventeen years. If you added up all my notes, I think they would be that binder would be thinner than Quinn's player development book.
1: It's isn't it amazing. And not isn't, isn't it a weird thing to say? But it, I mean, that's the truth. That was, that, was, that was the deal. It was kind of a, a, a rotation. I mean, I can, I, can, I can picture the players. And you're right. I mean, if it weren't for, you know, Miami, Ohio State, and if you recall, and this is getting really into the weeds on the 2002 NCAA tournament, but they played UCLA, but that's because yeah. UCLA had upset number one Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was considered yeah. an absolute machine. If that doesn't happen, I don't know if he ever even gets the visit from Gary Link. In other words, I don't know if he lasts that long.
2: Yeah, well, and and the funny thing about it, I mean, obviously, Ricky Clemens was what led to it all. I mean, that dude was – people forget what a good player he was. Mm -hmm. Like, if if, he and Clarence Gilbert were just awful in that loss to Oklahoma. But if they were anywhere close to the players they normally were, Missouri's in a Final Four. Yeah, And Quinn's whole thing here is different. And the other thing, the the ultimate – what led to Quinn Snyder getting fired here was that he – believed, and from what I was told, he believed it because he was told that Tyler Hansborough was coming to Missouri, and that Missouri didn't need to worry about recruiting any other big guys,
1: and Quinn huh. believed
2: him, and- He was and, told and by the Hansboroughs, or he was
1: told by somebody else?
2: Um, I've been told, the Hansboroughs told him he was coming, you know? Wow. Um- no, not publicly. Tyler never committed publicly, obviously. And and I say this all the time. Like, people ask about silent commitments. I've covered recruiting long enough. Like, that's like you you being someone's secret boyfriend. Like, yeah, I want to date you. Just don't tell anybody else, you know? <laughs> so Sounds hot. That doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. But anyway, you know, if Tyler Hansborough comes here, if they don't get in NCAA trouble and Tyler Hansborough comes here, Quinn's yeah. the coach here as long as he wants to
1: be. Quinn's, still, Quinn's still in Columbia, not in Salt Lake City.
2: I mean, realistically, he's not. But, right. You know, yeah.
1: He, uh, he would have he would gone have been one of the Blue Bloods.
2: Longer, but it, it's, it's interesting. I get asked all the time if you could ask one person at Missouri one question and you know you get an honest answer. What is it? You were talking about Quinn. Mine has always been, up until at least the last 12 months anyway, mine has always been, I would love to ask Mike Alden, is it true that you wanted to hire Bill Self and you were overruled?
0: Oh, that's because good Because that's what
2: I've always been told. And I was one of the people who was on the Bill Self. Like, Quinn was the hot shot, man. I mean, he was, somebody was hiring Quinn Snyder. I, at the time, wanted Bill Self, who at the time was the Tulsa coach. And if you think about what that does to the future of college basketball, like, look, Bill Self isn't still at Missouri. We know that. Right. He'd have gone somewhere else. But if Bill Self's the coach at Missouri, he never goes to Kansas. And you know who probably goes to Kansas is John Calipari. Hmm. I, I mean, that decision by, as I've been told, Missouri Booster changed the course of so many programs across the country.
1: Wow. I, I've, people always talk about the Bill Self thing, but I've never heard it laid out like that. Now you, that's, what, that's why I'm glad we're having I, the, uh, the, the conversation. I mean,
2: I was told the vote was, I've been told the vote was three to two among the five people who had a say that they wanted to hire Bill Self. But one of the two had a lot more money than the other three, and uh, that that was Quinn.
1: Which brings me to another question that I guess I didn't realize you were, uh, you were a member of the uh, the fan page. Uh, it's a wonderful place, nearly 7,000 great Americans. Uh, and that, that was a question, and I don't know if you're talking about this person. I don't know if you want to say that you are, but this was another question. I've always heard Bill Laurie was jealous of Stan Kroenke and always tried to one-up him. But we haven't heard a peep out of him in ten years. Is he still an influential booster? Is he an Odom guy? On this, I have absolutely no idea. We used to see him around here when he was uh, running in, or owning the Blues, and of course, he was known for uh, the name of the building. He played a role in building what is now Mizzou Arena. But since then, I have now that the person brings it up, I haven't. I haven't seen or heard from him either. What about you? No, Bill still goes to a lot of Missouri basketball games. Okay,
2: uh, you can see him. Um, Around, I I I know he he does like Barry Odom because Bill Bill was a Memphis guy, uh, also. Um, but I don't know what his. But he's not grabbing microphones was. or
1: anything like that, or doing interviews, is he? Uh
2: no 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 no. And I don't know as far as you know how much or if any he donates to the programs or anything like that.
1: Does that stem he, from he the way things went down with the building?
2: Um. You know, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I think that probably certainly had something to do with it. I don't think – I think there were a lot of people that by the end of Mike Alden's time maybe relationships had changed and stuff like that. But it's just never really an area I've, I've looked into much because, I don't know, it's Bill's money. He can do with it what he, what he wants, you know. Um. So, I and I'm not privy to a list of Missouri's biggest donors or anything.
1: So the, the, one of the things that I'm there, there are a couple, I guess there are three things that I want to make sure I go deep into the weeds with you on and I'll attempt to to to, to do it. I don't, I don't know. Cause obviously it's going to be ADD theater and, and who knows what we'll talk out talk about before we accomplish all three. Um, I want to talk about KOMU. Um, I want to talk about, um, a perception, uh, this was asked and it's something I am, I'm legitimately curious cause we might, we might uh, disagree on this. Uh, The perception of Missouri fans and also Missouri fans' expectations, both amongst Missouri fans and then around the country, which we'll be speaking in a—
2: So you want to make more of them hate me than already hate me?
1: Oh, see, I think they hate me, so this is interesting. It just depends on which which part of the party you're in. Hey, you know who we have in here? Gangster Pete's in here, and I don't know if you know Gangster Pete, uh, Colonel— Um, you've probably talked to him when you've come on the Ryan Kelly morning after, but I think he's he's called me on a few mornings. I believe (laughs) it doesn't sound like you're happy to hear from him again, but gangster Pete (laughs) is a huge Missouri fan. And to the point that I give him trouble only because when we, when we did watch party for Missouri, Alabama, Missouri, Kentucky over at my place, and put it on social media. He was in the background pacing, and I legitimately thought he had more money than he could afford on the game, and as it turned out, he just wanted to see Missouri win. He was just that nervous thinking that there was an upset about to be sprung in Tuscaloosa, which is great. That's wonderful, the way to go into every game. Gangster Pete... God love you,
0: Pete. I know. I don't even think Barry Odom thought that. I didn't think that realistically. I just The Tennessee thing,
1: you kept saying... Not Tennessee, I keep saying Tennessee. I think I said Tennessee. Kentucky game. The Kentucky game. Yeah, that's a big one. Yes. uh, And the way that that ended, and you kept saying they're going to lose this they're gonna lose this uh which is really that that shows that you truly are a missouri fan if even when they're up by that much then you think they're going to lose so before i before the colonel and i kind of and then also the st louis kansas city thing those are my three that i'm looking to so gangster pete it's not my fault if i don't name all them all it'll be your fault of course because that's how you manage people but let me uh let me ask you do you see as a big missouri fan i don't know if the right word would be factions but divides amongst missouri fans uh, in some capacity, if so, what do you see? And then the Colonel, I will give our perspectives. But I want to hear from somebody who's not necessarily on air or right or any of that stuff.
0: I mean, the biggest divide I see are the prisoner of the moment fans and then people that are more realistic. So I see the people that change their opinion every week based on what they see, which I don't understand. I understand that it's a it's a long played out thing. Uh, so that's the biggest difference. I, see, see. I think
1: Gabe and I will be on the same page with you on that but especially because I, my, my favorite thing to do on a Saturday afternoon is just watch Gabe's mentions. That's what I, I don't watch <laughs> yeah. the game. I watch Gabe's mentions. That's what I do. And then I see what, see what's doing there. But for example, and I've cited this Gabe, and I'm sure you had it on dot Um, there are people, we have the TMA fan page I made reference to, and I don't know how many members you have on power, mizzou. I don't even know if you want to publicize ours, ours is a Facebook page. So you can, you can see it. And there's 6,800 members and we don't let bots in and we get rid of shit disturbers. And, uh, and so it's a pretty good group of people and there are a number of people, not a number. There's a few people who are like, how about all you guys who said you wanted to fire Barry Odom? You know, where are you now? That kind yeah. of thing. And I'm like, you who are going after these people, I remember you right after the Kentucky game, wanting to fire Barry Odom or saying you're off board. It's a really weird deal. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so that, I mean, it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't affect my life, but I, I find it to be relatively humorous. It's like one thing if you go, yeah, I wanted to fire him, but now, you know, he's, turned it around, won at Florida, got Kelly Bryant, you know, maybe he is, maybe he is going to be able to build this thing. I don't know, but I certainly don't so, celebrate the Kelly Bryant uh, recruitment by going on to social media and like motherfucking the people who were anti Barry Odom or pro Barry Odom. I don't know. I just want to see Missouri do well because it's been my school all my life. So every fan base has yes, the same. That's important three to note.
2: Groups. Every fan base has the same three groups of people um and it is the same three groups of people who are in society at large uh the 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 first group is going to hate the coach no matter what like he gets all the blame for every loss and none of the credit for any win like there were people still in 2000 who would say after the 2013 sec title game see gary pinkle's just got a ceiling man he just can't he can't do any better than this like Yeah, I appreciate what he did, but it's time to get that young guy who can take the next step. Um, Then you've got the faction of people who, as soon as someone slips on a shirt that says Missouri on it, um, they could piss on this person's head and tell them it was raining, and they would believe it. (laughs) And these are the people who still will say, I'm not really – I think if we just would have stuck with Kim Anderson a little bit longer, it might have (laughs) worked. you know so it, those are the 5% on each side that are unreasonable and are not going to have a discussion like they're either they they hate everything or they love everything and they're not capable of seeing the other side and then what you have in the middle is the 90% of people who are willing to change their minds based on what they actually see but those people don't call talk radio shows and they don't post on the internet and they don't tweet incessantly because uh, they're just the more like I don't want to say rational because that that is more insulting than I mean it to be, but they're more even keeled, maybe.
1: But I think that laid that out perfectly, and you did apply it to a more of a macro standpoint with with 2018 America. And, yeah, you're right, because the the 5% you stand out, that people retweet when they're on the other side with whatever political take it is, go, yeah, look at this guy. Well, that's one person out of whatever group of conservatives or whatever group of liberals, but then you can build your point around it. Right. You can it always to mock find them. somebody that agrees with you. Yes, yes. in in whatever bubble but, you're in.
2: So so my thing— I think the other— go ahead, go ahead, please.
1: No, no, I want you to go ahead.
2: I think the other divides among Missouri fans, I think there's two. I think because Missouri's one of the few schools in the country that when I hear it, I don't immediately say football school or basketball school.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, North Carolina, that's a basketball school. Um, Kentucky, that's a basketball school. Texas is a football school. Like most schools, you just immediately identify with one or the other. With Missouri, you really don't. I think at heart, Missouri wants to be a football school. And I think people my dad's age would view it more as a football school because they experienced the 1960s when Missouri legitimately was – Was I don't know if national power is the right word, but very nationally relevant. With people our age, it's more of a basketball school. Part of the reason I went to Missouri was because of Norm Stewart. And because Derek Chivas made me a college sports fan. I I mean, you know, Melvin Booker was my senior year in high school. Anthony Peeler was a Kansas City kid. So that's, that's more what I always identified with. But then the other divide is people who became fans of Missouri after Gary Pinkle became the coach here. And it's why I think it makes Barry Odom's job so difficult, and I said it at the time he was hired, you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not one who thinks Gary Pinkle should have a statue, and I'm not sure he's the best coach in school history. But short of winning one game, Gary Pinkle did every single thing that you can possibly do as the football coach at Missouri. He fell one win short of never being able to be any better. Uh, And he lost those four conference title games. If he'd won one of them, he's looked at differently. But he did everything you can do here. And what he did, Missouri fans of, mm, let's say 2008 on, became very similar to Kansas State fans who became Kansas State fans after 1998. Hmm. And that is, this is now what we expect. We now think it's our birthright to wake up and win eight games. We should win 10 more than we don't, and we should be in position to play for a national title every few years. That's not realistic. Yes, Gary Pinkle did it, and yes, that can be your hope, but it's the difference between hope and expectation. And there is a group of fans, and it is an age thing largely, that's all they've ever known, so they think that's what Missouri football is. And that's just not what Missouri football ever was in our lifetime or ever really has been since 1969. So I'm not sure. Now they have the flip view of basketball, which is all I've ever seen is crap. Where Yeah, we might have a good year here and then, but then we go back to being bad. Whereas when you and I grew up, Missouri was legitimately a top 15 basketball program in America. There is no doubt about it. They won four straight league titles from 80 to 83. They were frequently number one in the country. They just didn't win in March, but that was legitimately a top 15 basketball program in America. So we look at basketball and say, there's no reason Missouri can't be that. And there isn't. You know, but the current Missouri basketball fans say, I've never seen that show me good and I'll show up, but I'm not going to show up. Till
0: yeah.
1: That, so, so there's so many questions I have out of that and also just observations. And I'm sure a lot of hardcore Missouri fans are listening to this and either loving it or. Or or what we're saying or what you're saying right there bothers them, or, or just my mere presence bothers them. But along the lines, but, but with Ms. Bur- I don't know if we agree on this or disagree with on this. I I, I think we're we are both at the age uh, where we're kind of in the middle, where we can see what happened here recently and have our views change. Because I recall specifically you were pro- I don't know if you would have been there. No, you probably were in South Dakota. It's a story I've told a number of times. But I think it was Pinkel's first day, his media, I know I said it to him when I was at his house interviewing him last year for uh, the first episode of this podcast, actually, about how I was working at KMOV, and my photographer was a huge Tennessee fan, and obviously Missouri's in the Big 12 at the time, and he wore a Tennessee hat. It didn't even cross my mind. Now, obviously, you would totally think differently, but he always wore the Tennessee hat everywhere. He's a Knoxville guy, or from the state at the very least. And Pinkle asked him to take the hat off. Uh And, and I remember my photographer was kind of like, what did you say? And then Pinkle like saw it was the team photo day and he saw that everybody was kind of getting worked up. Like the team was paying attention. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? And then Pinkle pulled him aside and said, listen, I'm trying to do something here. Just while you're here, I'll get you a Missouri hat. Put the Tennessee hat in the car, and then you can put it right back on as soon as you get in the car. He goes, I just don't want to send a message that it's all right to wear another school's hat here. And that that did happen. And, and I thought right then, I get in the car with a guy to drive back to St. Louis after we do our interviews. And my, uh, my photographer says, I'm telling you something. Because I thought he might be all pissed off. I had no idea where he was going to be. He goes, I'm telling you something. That guy's going to win a conference championship here. I go, Missouri winning a conference championship in the Big 12? Are you kidding me? That's impossible. It wasn't even on the... It, it sounded like funny, and and we were only at that time, mm-hmm. Gabe, three years removed from a team that won a bowl game, and that was a very good team. I mean, I realize they're not up there with 07 and 13 and even 08 and 14 in 2010, but the 1998 team was a, a team that is we we cited when we were there, uh, they led everybody they played at halftime, and they played some damn good teams. They played at Ohio State, at A&M, at Nebraska, I mean, and against number one Kansas State that you just made reference to. That was a very good team, but the idea of Missouri winning a conference championship was foreign. And now, granted, because you have Alabama as the UCLA of, of of football in 2018 with what's gone over the last decade with Saban, it seems impossible. They have been in that position four times since 2007. And so from my standpoint, the thing that I push back on, not so much I'm pushing for Missouri becoming Alabama, but I push back on the idea that what was going on after the Tennessee game and then then we all were looking at the schedule and going, okay, they can get to seven wins, six is in play, and Missouri doesn't f- fire coaches that go to bowl games. And I, I reject that because I feel like going to a bowl game in 2008, well, I don't feel like I know that, going to a bowl game in 2018 versus going to a bowl game in 1988 are two different things, even different than 1998. And I feel like that's setting the bar too low, and that's not a commentary on Barry Odom at all. It's a commentary on you know what we're past the point of just six wins being good enough around here. That's that's where I am. Do we do you disagree with me on that? No, I don't. Okay. Uh,
2: six and six is six and six is no great accomplishment. You're two and six in the league. You're you know if Missouri had gone six and six this year, their best win is probably Purdue. I don't know Tennessee. Yeah. You know. Um, that's not any good. Um, so no, I, I think at six and six, Barry's job would have been a jeopardy. I, I do think that, uh, my Mark, I've said Missouri does not fire coaches for going eight and four. You go eight and four, you're 500 in the SEC. You have a lifetime
1: job. Well, I'm, I'm with you uh, on that. I, mean, I didn't know anybody was saying to fire him at eight and four.
2: Uh, there are people who would, and there will be people like, okay, so he went eight and four this year, whatever the bowl game is, it is, but let's say he goes eight and four for the next four seasons. There will be people who say this is the ceiling. I'm tired of eight and four. Let's go find the guy who can win ten. You know, um, it, because it's it's human nature. It just is what it is. You get tired of, of the same. Um, but no, six and six. I, I don't think there's anything.
1: Okay. All right. That, six that, six. That's so, what I. That's but what. That's I also what I. Reach fight out.
2: back against the settling for mediocrity argument that I always hear. Like, just because you say it is very very difficult for Missouri to win a conference title or it is not realistic to expect Missouri to play in the national championship game doesn't mean you're settling for mediocrity.
1: See, now, and, and, and I don't think we're necessarily disagreeing per se, but I mean, we, no. we both know. And, and I would imagine at this point, the vast majority of the people listening are aware that within the last 11 years, they've been a win away from playing for the national championship Two times, and so that doesn't mean that Again, I expect it.
2: Possible, you hope for it. It's not the expectation,
1: right? Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. I just, you know, what with, was with, with the Odom thing, and I feel like it got to a point, like almost talking politics, that it was, it was almost not even oh, yeah. wor- worth the the trouble because you were talking more often than not with either the five percent in one wing or the five percent in the other wing, and I realized, when in reality, I'm talking to the ninety percent. Um, but it's like, Oh God, I can tell this person's in the bubble and I don't even want to bother. You know, it's like, uh, whatever bubble it's in, whether Odom's got to go or Odom's got to stay. And I'm just like, at this point, and this is before the Florida game at this point, I don't know what could possibly have you going. This guy's got it all figured out and it's going in the right direction. Even though if you did watch them comparatively speaking in 2016 and 2017, they were a better football team in 2018, no. but there were. But he, the thought process was they were certainly going to be a better football team than than 2016 and 2017.
2: Yeah, people that said before the Florida game that he had it all figured out were absolutely as delusional as the people that said he should have been fired Sunday morning after Kentucky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. What, I, don't, I, I, have I have no idea what you team. would have based. I have no idea what you would have based it on.
2: Exactly, and again, that's the five percent that you can piss on them and tell them it's rain and they believe it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the 5% who, after Missouri beat Auburn in the SEC tournament in Kim's last year, were going, well, these guys are still playing hard for him. Maybe we shouldn't have fired. <laughs> no, you should have. It was the right call.
1: <laughs> so, I, and so along those lines, I mean, I think for the most part, people are like, you know what? I mean, a win at Florida, even though I th- – were you did you go to Gainesville for that or were you in Columbia? Yeah, no,
2: I, I was at every game.
1: Okay, was. all right. So I I recall watching that game and I'm just like – How in the hell did this team beat LSU? Because I, But part of that's Missouri playing well, uh, and then part of that Florida just had a really bad day. And I think the, the two met, and that was your extreme circumstance, kind of like Missouri and Auburn last year. That was about as, you know, not that Auburn played out of their minds. I have no idea how to compare and contrast, but Missouri played about as poorly as they could at the end of a bad run. And there's your result an extreme debacle because I look at Florida that day and I'm going, what in the hell is this? How did this team beat LSU? The team that beat Georgia, although I realize you could never apply the transitive property in college football. And then you get Kelly Bryant. And so from that standpoint, for me, for the first time, I go, okay, he tackled two of the biggest questions. Can he win a game against a legitimately good team? And that Kentucky team, from my standpoint, I'm watching that going, God, this Kentucky team. They had struggled with Vanderbilt the week before, if I'm not mistaken. Missouri's
2: me. a better team than Kentucky.
1: Absolutely, and that 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 now after the fact bothers me more than it did in the moment, actually, because I'm like, oh, Missouri would probably be playing Penn State right now in the in the bowl season. But-
2: If Missouri wins that Kentucky game, do they come out with their ass? I know, which I think was one of the
1: greatest tributes to Odom is that they responded like they did against Florida, even if they wouldn't have won the game that they played like they did. And I thought that was, I thought, so I thought that was incredibly encouraging. And then the Kelly Bryant thing from my standpoint, that gets, and then looking at the schedule next year, which I realize is fool's gold, but Mm -hmm. there isn't a trip to Tuscaloosa or, you know, God forbid a trip non-conference to Clemson or, you know. Norman or something like that—that that you know, this is that, a
2: team that should expect nine or ten wins next year.
1: Actually. Yeah, and I think that's healthy. Yeah. So it's a case by case basis, and I, and I like that, and that excites me. And as you said on our show, the radio show, that you know, the odd years are probably going to be better for Missouri fans just because of the way the schedule lays out at this particular moment, in mm-hmm. in, in the SEC. So I like that. Or do you find now people are? Do you think Odom has what kind of approval rating? Do you think he has now?
2: Oh, hell. A lot higher than it was a month ago. Yeah, um, you know, it, no, it's, I, I think at this point, ninety-eight percent of fans are good with him coming back next year and and you know having gotten a raise and all that. Um, now look, if he start now, the next step is don't take their hope away in the first half of the season because he's done that the last three years. At six and six at, after six games, Missouri fans haven't really had hope of anything, but even this year. The best you could hope for was, yeah, I don't know, maybe we can run the table, get to nine and three in the Citrus Bowl, which is good, but it like you couldn't win your division or anything. Exactly. So the goal next year is to get to game six and not and be over five hundred and still be playing for something.
1: Yeah, that's where I am. That's how I am with college football because I hate bowls, and I, I don't. I don't. It's not that I hate bowls. If people are excited to go to Memphis, that's great. But because I'm not excited, that doesn't make me a bad fan. But, if, I mean, if somebody wants to call me a bad right. fan, they're welcome to. And that, that gets me to another part of the Missouri fan discussion thing. One of the things that I – we had it happen on our show, an actual caller, which is super rare these days where most people text in. Um, and then I had some people email me about this attendance thing. And, 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 and there's two elements to the discussion on the attendance. The fans who rip other fans for not going to games – and then as, why the attendance isn't isn't better so let me start with the first um, i feel like that I, I it it blows me away that that goes on um because there have been atmospheres at Faroe field over the last 11 years that are some of the best sporting event atmospheres that i've been lucky mm-hmm. enough to be a part of i mean 2010 oklahoma and the john McGaffey opening up the the game with the kickoff return is still top 5 in my life and that's with some incredible cardinal and Ram and Blues moments in in there to to compete, um, and then obviously I'm sure you would name 07 against Nebraska. It sucked. What wound would up say happening? I
2: 03 against Nebraska.
1: Oh yeah, I was at that one too. 07 against yeah. Nebraska. 08. The atmosphere to start on Saturday night against Oklahoma State, which wound up being a debacle, was sick. 13 against A and M. First SEC game against Georgia. Yeah, yep. 12 against good. Georgia. So so it, it it's it's there, but people aren't just going to show up. Now, I I, I, I don't want to step on what you will say to it, but I realize unlike some situations, Missouri's situation is in part predicated by the fact that relative to other SEC schools, they are on the far low end, and then that limits Missouri with its ability to do more financially, which then limits the ability to go out and get this coach or that coach and or improve the facilities to compete with, take your pick of whichever blue blood in the sec. And so it's kind of a chicken and egg argument, but it tilts me when people go after people for not going to games, your thoughts.
2: Well, the first thing I always say is I would never tell anyone how to spend his money. If your reason for not going to a game is I can't afford it or it's too expensive, or I'd rather take my kid to Disney world or what. no issues. Like, it's not cheap to go to games. You know, uh, people who are sports fans kind of prioritize that. And, you know, I, I mean, in, in 2014, I told my parents and my wife in like July, I said, look, don't get me a birthday present. My birthday's in August. Save your money. If the Royals make the playoffs, I'm taking my kid. I don't care if it's in Oakland or Boston or whatever, we're going and so i prioritized that's what i wanted to spend my money on so if your reason is financial i would never question that it is it is expensive to do um it, and i don't have a problem with people who don't go to i'll be honest tim i'd rather watch a football game on tv mm-hmm. it's better um you know baseball is the one sport that i'd rather be at because there's enough downtime like you can go get a beer you can talk you can do whatever between pitches between innings and, and there's all kinds of downtime uh football i 'd rather watch it on t v but the the people who I think there is a problem with are the people who are not going to games yet are bitching about attendance are bitching about the coach are bitching about the number of wins like if you want to make a difference in college sports, you have to support the program, and if you don't that's fine, but you kind of lose your right to be- you know it's like I don't care who you voted for, but if you didn't vote, you like just vote as a hey. This is my way that I get to bitch about who we who we elected. If you want to, that's fine. At least you voiced your opinion. You know, you did your part in the process. So you then I, I will put a little more stock in your opinion of whatever it is. So if you are a person who doesn't go to games and who doesn't donate to the Tiger Scholarship Fund. And who sits and and watches every seven days on TV and then comes and roasts Barry Odom? Like I don't really care what you say, because you're you're part of the problem without offering any solution, other than I want other people to fix it. You know, so I, I think that's the issue. And Missouri is unique in that. Look, I I don't want to get too into this because the bottom line is I I have a business to run and it does me no good to offend potential customers. But 2015 is still an issue in this fan base.
1: No question about it. Um, do you think that that's impacting attendance? Do you think that's a, do you think that's yes. a, you think that's a large factor?
2: I think it is a very large factor. Wow.
1: Um, See, I think it's I a think factor, are, but I would not think I would categorize it as a large factor. That's interesting.
2: I don't know if I would say it is the number one factor, but I wouldn't argue with people who say it is. Um, Yeah, there are people who I think quit uh, at that point and aren't coming back. And that is their prerogative. Um, I I don't agree with it. I frankly don't really understand it. But that is their choice to make. And it is now Missouri's problem to figure out how to overcome it. And all Barry Odom can do about it is go win football games. Uh, That's it. He can't do anything else. You know, it, it doesn't matter how funny he is on Twitter or how great or terrible he is in interviews—that's not selling tickets. Winning football games is selling tickets.
1: I mean, I—I I, I feel like now maybe I'm off the mark. Is home homecoming's Ole Miss next year? Is it not? I think that's right. Uh, yeah. If if they're and I think they would be six and zero at that point. If they're six and zero, my point being they, it's a seventh game. If they're approximately, if they're six and zero at Ole Miss, I would imagine that play or not at Ole Miss at homecoming against Ole Miss. That place, and assuming it's not an 11 o'clock game, that place is going to be absolutely batshit. You know? The
2: bigger test for me is actually the West Virginia game. Yeah. Week 2, good program. Kelly Bryant's first start at home. That game should be sold out.
1: Yeah, yeah. It,
2: it, it, Gary Pinkle said way back in 2011, if we're going to join this league, we've got to do it at every level. And look, the bottom line is, yeah, attendance is down all over the place. But, like, I, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. They've been bad for a while. And they've been worse than they expect to be for about 15 years now. And there were 30,000, 25,000 empty seats in that stadium, which still means there were 83,000 people there, which would be 8,000 more than Missouri has ever gotten to a football game. Um, so you are now in a league where these fan bases – this is what they do, and I understand the excuse of, but they don't have the Chiefs and the Royals and the Blues and the Cardinals, and, you know, they, I get it, but this is the league you're in. This is the choice your school has made, so if you want your house to be like the other houses in the neighborhood, you have to spend some money to make it that way. Otherwise, you're going to be the one that all the neighbors say, what the fuck is this guy doing in our neighborhood? <laughs> you know, he can't take care of his yard, his garage door doesn't work, his car's on blocks. like this doesn't work in our neighborhood. Um, and, and that's the choice that's been made at Missouri. And if you want to fit in and not fit in with Vanderbilt and with Kentucky football, and I'm not saying you're ever Alabama and you have 105,000 people at the game. That's not my point. But if you want to be on more of a level playing field, you know, yeah, you, you need better support than Ole Miss. You need support like Arkansas gets. You,
1: you need that,
2: and uh, you know, yeah, they got to win. They got to do their part, but the fans have to do theirs as well.
1: Why do you think? Why do you think the attendance, if we're taking, and I realize you can't take it out, but it's not like before November 2015, Missouri was you know known as you know the place to be on a Saturday afternoon when they have a home game. Why do you think attendance isn't better for Mizzou games? And I'm talking both basketball and football.
2: Because there, it's the same reason people ask why Missouri can't recruit better. There is no statewide pride for the state university in this, in this state. Um, the two biggest cities uh, border other states. It, you know, shit, people think I'm from Kansas because I grew up in Kansas City. Um, the third biggest school is You've got as many or city. You've got as many Arkansas and Oklahoma fans in Springfield as you do Missouri fans. You have Missouri State, which generally doesn't like Mizzou. Um, so the state is divided. Um, you know, it's a very, it's really a diverse state. The northern part is a bunch of farming. The boot heel is more, you know, more southern. Um, Kansas City and St. Louis are the big cities. The rest of it is is very rural. Um, it's just. The people in St. Louis, their number one sports team is always going to be the St. Louis Cardinals. The people in Kansas City's number one sports team is always going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. People from Arkansas, the University of Arkansas is their thing. That's what they do. People in Alabama are Alabama fans or Auburn fans. In South Carolina, they're South Carolina or Clemson fans. Um, It's just what they've always done. You know, they're weak. They're – their falls are built around where do I need to be on these 12 Saturdays? And it's not that way in Missouri. And I don't know how you change. I don't think you do change that.
1: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the cultural element, I agree. I guess what I do is I go back to when we were there in the mid 1990s and late 1990s and where it was then and where it is now. And if you would have told me that, Missouri would have done what they've done and that there were atmospheres like the one atmosphere that stands out to me, I guess there were probably two, Gabe, while we were there, November 1997 against Nebraska, the fam- that famous game, yeah. the Flea Kicker game, and then the next November uh, when they played K-State and K-State was number one, mm-hmm. um, but we've had multiple games like that since we left and to the point that you know the team has been in conference championship games four times. I just feel like it's it, it has evolved, but because it's doing yes. so perhaps at a pace where there is still is not a conference championship, just like when we were there, you can't say it's turned a corner. So along those College lines—
2: College football is the slowest sport to change in the country. If you look at the best teams in America in 1960, a lot of them are still the best teams in America. Yeah. Oklahoma and Ohio State and Alabama, these LSU, these programs have been great forever. Um, Texas, you know, and it just, it doesn't change in two years. It doesn't change in 10 years. It might change in 50. So when my kids' kids (laughs) are in position to donate to a university, maybe Missouri's at that level, but not before then.
1: All right, there it is, part one with the colonel. Part one with the colonel. Next week we go into uh, the St. Louis versus Kansas City thing because Gabe and I both have kind of observed this. Now I'll be real candid with you. Um, it is my opinion that this is way more from the Kansas City side than it is the St. Louis side, um, but I wanted to hear Gabe's perspective on it and uh, and, and really what, what it, where it came from, and I think it came from the 1985 World Series, but I mean— you know i mean it would be great if, if some of you listening were like students at the university of missouri in 85 which means at this point let's see if we can do some quick math on the fly that means you'd be about 51 or 2 or 3 or 4 years old and maybe you can speak to what that was like cuz cuz let me tell you something if if the cardinals and royals would have played from 94 through 99 when i was down there um you know oh my god but back in 85 when i when i just turned 9 I didn't even think anything of Kansas city. I'm Just like, that's who the Cardinals are playing. Just like, I didn't think anything of Milwaukee for what I can barely remember the 82 world series. And I didn't think anything of Minnesota, you know? So it, it had nothing to do with that. And then all of a sudden you get down to the university of Missouri at 94. And you're just like, Whoa, some of these Kansas city guys really don't like St. Louis. What the hell's going on here? And I still don't know what it's about. So the, the Colonel, and I talk about that. And then also uh, working together at KOMU, um, and some of the experiences uh, coming up in, in broadcasting um, from, from the University of Missouri Journalism School. So that's coming up in part two for the holiday week. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors for making the podcast possible. The HomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly, uh, Mark Hanna, who presented our guest, Gabe Diarmond at Evergreen Wealth Strategies, EvergreenSTL.com, James Carlton in studio, hanging out here on the Tim McKernan Show Mike Judy of Mike Judy Presents online at MikeJudyPresents.com. He has some really good shows coming up. Uh, check those out at MikeJudyPresents.com or follow him on Twitter, MikeJudyPresents, uh, MikeJudy, P-R-S-N-T-S. Uh, and then also Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270, and the Washington Elizabeth Exit. That's where you can find them or find them 24-7-365 at com. Uh, we are here wrapping up, I guess, uh, the, that would be a year and three months. So 15 months, of the podcast, like I said earlier on, I said to, to, to have a new guest and also the caliber of guests we've had every single week, uh, is a major tip of the cap to the producers, uh, who either, uh, came before or are currently working on the program. And I'm especially in, incredibly grateful to, to John Seymour who started this thing with me, uh, to Iggy. To gangster Pete to Nick Yale, videographer to everybody who has worked on this thing because it was just kind of an idea, and now it's uh, super cool to see it kind of catching on. And and uh, and I'll tell you, I get more. I feel like I don't know if I get more, but I get just as many, if not more, emails or tweets or Facebook DMs or Facebook, but whatever it is, whatever communication or if people come up to me when I'm out saying, love the podcast. And I'm like, I'm just surprised because I feel like the radio show's kind of got this, you know, and it's in its own stratosphere. But people are getting on board with the podcast. It's obviously different than the Ryan Kelly morning after, and that's a good thing to see. So if you're just finding out about it, like I'm sure a lot of your Missouri fans and and you're maybe listening to this for the first time, go back and you'll see, uh, I mean, there are interviews. And and I guess it's not up on iTunes anymore, but everything's up on InsideSTL.com. And I don't know what the archive cutoff is. But the first interview, the very first interview of the show is, uh, it's a hundred, is that what it is? Is that what you're saying? Uh, the very, and we've done more than a hundred episodes at this point, but the very first interview is Gary Pinkle. And, uh, and it was like an hour and a half interview. So it's all up on InsideSTL.com and the past 100 shows are there on iTunes. Uh, so spread the word, please give us a positive like and review. I guess it helps the business. I don't know. People say that it does, but we love doing it. Uh, certainly I enjoy the interviews every week. I enjoy doing the questions from the audience. I like that the questions are starting to push the envelope a little more. People are getting comfortable asking the questions that I uh, might be uncomfortable asking. So good for you for doing that. And then the pick six podcast, which I thought was just going to be some hackneyed guys who are basically losing gamblers, guessing games. And all of a sudden we stumble into the weatherman and, and uh, at least at the time of me recording this, he is 34 and 11 over his last 45 picks. Now you might be aware as as I am not at the moment because I am, uh, you are future boy to me, and I am past boy to you. But maybe he goes 0-6 this weekend, and you'll be like, yeah, screw the weather, man." I don't know. I've been on a heater for like seven weeks. So love doing the podcast. I'm sure we'll continue to look at doing more with the podcast. Got the thing with Dan McLaughlin that's on now on the Tim McCurney Show, and it's on with Scoops Danny Mac. So uh, very grateful to everybody for finding out about it, for supporting it, for the sponsors who support it, for the producers who work on it. And I hope you enjoyed uh, part one with the Colonel Gabe Diarmond. Anytime you have feedback, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside Stl Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.